What's the leading cause of death amongst children in this country? And I'm going to give you a hint. It's not drag show readings to children. I'm presuming you're going to say it's firearms. No, I'm not going to say it like it's an opinion. That's what it is. It's firearms. More than cancer, more than car accidents. But when it comes to children that have died, you don't give a flying f because that shall not be infringed. How's it going, everybody? Welcome back to another episode of the Arm Scholar Podcast. In this episode of the podcast, we are going to be reacting to an interview that was done between Jon Stewart. And this clip here with Jon Stewart is very um, deceiving. It's clipped a certain way. And obviously, a lot of things that Jon Stewart says in this interview, I do not agree with. So let's jump into this. But before we break into this interview, I just want to mention that if you're not currently uh, subscribed to the channel, please consider subscribing to the channel. That helps to grow this channel to send in information like this about the Second Amendment and firearms rights to more people, and it helps the algorithm. But regardless, thank you guys so much for all of your support. I'm a strong proponent of the Second Amendment. Uh -huh. I believe the right to keep and bear arms shall not be infringed. Uh -huh. That's the one right that's listed in the Constitution that uses that very specific shall affirmative language, you know, shall not be well, infringed. Well, it's also the one right that uses the, the phrase well-regulated. Obviously, right off the bat, John Stewart is trying to use the what the anti-gunners believe is the tried and true. Well, what about well-regulated? Obviously, that must mean that the government has the ability to regulate, i.e., through the executive agency, through legislators, through whoever, they can put in place regulations or what they really want is restrictions on your ability to keep and bear arms. Now, that's not true at all. This type of anti-gun argument has been expressly rejected multiple times by the Supreme Court of the United States because well-regulated does not mean government regulations. It does not mean government restrictions. Well-regulated just simply meant that the individuals in the militia at the time of the ratification of the Second Amendment in 1791 were meant to be well-organized and well-trained. In fact, quoting directly from the Supreme Court in D.C. v. Heller, in 2008, the Supreme Court stated that finally, the adjective well-regulated implies nothing more than the imposition of proper discipline and training. So what Jon Stewart is advocating for here, which he believes is a dunk on this a state senator in Oklahoma, that well-regulated means that you can put in place restrictions, is just simply not true. That is not what the founders actually meant, and that is not what well-regulated is intended to mean in the Second Amendment. Let's just run those numbers, you know, 400 million, 50,000. Uh-huh. You're talking about a less than a fraction of not even a percent, of a hundredth of a percent. But it goes up, not down. So your argument is backwards. But if you want, okay, so so let's let's come up with a solution, okay? So one of the issues, a contributing factor, again, I, I believe it's the individual that is the problem. So here, what they're starting to argue about and what Jon Stewart is going to try to use to his benefit in this argument is some obscuring of statistics about gun deaths, gun homicides. And when you look at these statistics of the gun deaths or these gun homicides or um, the information, the statistics included, uh, primarily probably what he's pointing to is the CDC's statistics. When you look at those, what that encapsulates is not what Jon Stewart would like you to think it encapsulates. He wants you to think that it's just simply these scary mass shootings and that there's these 50,000 so-called mass shootings or mass shooting deaths that are equated or added up into 
um, relating to the firearms deaths. But really, if you look at those statistics, what the CDC is reporting and adding into this entire bucket of gun deaths includes primarily the two biggest portions of those is suicides and then also crime slash gang related um, deaths. And again, it's only 50,000, which is the best estimates that they have in any single year. And when you look at that in relation to other types of um, deaths or other types of tools that are used like knives, hands and fists, um, baseball bats, things of that nature, firearms actually pale in comparison when you look at you know, homicides to homicide statistics. So again, what they like to do, the anti-gunners and these people advocating for gun control, what they like to do is they like to cherry pick statistics and then throw them at you and hope that you don't actually understand what those statistics actually incorporate and what is included in those. So I'm saying that because people are the problem, we need to look at the problems that those people are facing and how do we address it. For but you've instance, removed the ability for the state to do that. It's not us removing the ability from the state or the government from doing that. It's the Second Amendment. The Second Amendment says shall not be infringed. It tells the government what they cannot do to infringe on your right to keep and bear arms. And that has been set and established in 1791. So if John Stewart has an issue with that, then he has an issue with the Constitution and the Bill of Rights in itself, which is really what he does. He does have an issue with that. Background checks. Mm -hmm. And you don't have registration and permitting. How do you know who has a problem in terms of the people who you're giving a gun to? What you're doing is you're bringing chaos to order. So again, you can see how they are craftily doing that. Now he's taking this moral attack and like you are the one adding chaos and disorder into our nation. And what he's advocating for here is a background check system and a registration process because he believes you know, a background check and registration process will somehow help identify those individuals who maybe are going to engage in what he believes is so-called gun violence or some sort of criminal activity, as if we live in the whole minority report movie and we can predict ahead of time what's actually going to happen. A registration and a background check does not actually solve anything. Now, we can look at isolated examples like certain states like California, where they have a more comprehensive registration and background check system where they would have some sort of equivalent to what John Stewart would call a universal background check, where you would have traditional background checks that are done at the federal level through your 4473 in the NIC system. And then the state of California through the DOJ has their own state equivalent background check. And then they also have requirements and laws in place where you have to go through background checks for all types of firearm transactions, including private party transactions. Now, and then they also on top of that have a registration process that has been in place for many years where every single firearm that is purchased in the state of California is registered with the DOJ and is put on a list in the DOJ. Now, again, isolated, you know, kind of example isolated situation and experiment that you could point to, okay, John Stewart saying all these things would help to stop and reduce crimes. So we have an example, we have the state of California. Has the state of California's crimes, has the state of California's so-called gun violence reduced? No, it has not reduced at all through all of these gun control provisions that John Stewart is advocating for. And why is that? Because criminals don't go through background checks, criminals don't go through the registration process, Criminals don't care about going through a background check and an FFL and all that for private party transactions. Criminals are going to engage in criminal conduct. So all this is doing is impacting law-abiding people. And it only impacts law-abiding people. And really that's what they care about because they wanna know 
who has firearms, you know, who has what, so that potentially down the road, if they want to confiscate firearms, they want to know who has them. So you know what would help the problem that we're facing with firearms? What? The fatherlessness crisis that we have in America. If you look at the statistics. Right, yeah, they're 80, dying from gun deaths. 80%. So what Jon Stewart does a lot in this interview is building straw mans. He's building these arguments, straw man arguments, and then arguing against them. So you've seen him do it multiple times in just that one clip where he's saying, oh, like, let's compare this to fentanyl, to let's compare this to, um, you know, immigration. And then here he's saying, you know, if you really care about, you know, lives and the fatherlessness issue, it's, you know, all the fatherless homes in the U.S. is because of gun violence. It's because of guns. That's not true at all. The loss of the traditional family structure in fathers and homes is not caused by firearms themselves. There is no statistics that show that the leading cause of fatherlessness homes or fatherlessness homes in the U.S. is because of firearms or because, you know, fathers are dying in related to firearms. The decrease in the fatherlessness home issue we have in the U.S. is my opinion, caused because of a cultural degradation and a degradation of the foundation of principles that our nation was found on. You know, fathers in the homes is no longer of importance in our culture. You're also making it less safe for cops and for people. When the police go to a domestic call, it's the most dangerous call they can go on. Mm -hmm. Again, he thinks he's clever with some of these arguments, but yes, we do know that, you know, domestic violence calls, and if you just talk to any police officer, domestic violence calls are some of the most dangerous calls that you could possibly go to. But now John Stewart is using that to argue for what is he arguing for? Federal gun control, more gun control, um, expanded domestic violence restraining order language. And this is something that's been um, dealt with quite often frequently. They use this very argument uh, to put some language in the Bipartisan Safer Communities Act, which recently passed and Biden signed into law. Interestingly enough, with the whole domestic violence restraining order issue, um, that's going to be addressed by the Supreme Court this upcoming term, and that is in the U.S. v. Rahimi case. If you're not familiar with what the U.S. v. Rahimi case is, I've covered it at length on this channel. The whole domestic violence issue comes in with the Rahimi cases. Uh, he had a relationship with an individual, and then she got a domestic violence restraining order against him. And, you know, one of the situations or one of the terms within that domestic violence restraining order was that Mr. Rahimi could no longer be in possession of firearms or ammunition during a period of time when he was subject to that restraining order. Now, because of some other incidents that came up, the police became aware that he was in possession of a firearm and then they, you know, arrested him and found him in possession of a firearm. Now, what ended up happening is he was going through a procedure in the Fifth Circuit, you know, dealing with some uh, lawsuits and some felony convictions. And he was charged of being in possession, a felon in possession uh, or not a felon in possession. He was found in possession of a firearm in violation of federal law, uh, 922 G1, uh, G6, I believe. Um, which you can't be in possession of a firearm you know, because he was subject to domestic violence restraining order. And then he ended up challenging that because of the Supreme Court's recent decision in Bruin. And if you're not familiar with Bruin was um, in a six to three decision, Justice Thomas writing for the majority outlined multiple things. But one of the critical things that he did is he rejected the use of the two step approach. He rejected the use of intermediate scrutiny as well as a basis or an analysis that lower courts could use. Then Mr. Hemi once again brought back his challenge saying, hey, use the Bruin analysis. The Bruin analysis would actually show that, you know, 922 G6 is a violation of the Second Amendment. Ultimately, the Fifth Circuit agreed, 
And then now you have the federal government going to the Supreme Court saying, hey, Supreme Court, you need to review this case. And the Supreme Court has granted review and they will address this this upcoming term. And that's all to say that is all context related to these domestic violence restraining order incidents. This is all context relating to how some of these incidents are weaponized, how they violate the Second Amendment, how they violate the Second Amendment is actually a huge question right now going on in federal courts. And this is all context that is not being added at all in this conversation because Jon Stewart doesn't want you to actually know what's going on. If we had gun registration, if we were able to track purchases, if we are, they have a technology that every bullet would be stamped with an individual like a fingerprint. If we had an eight. Once a registry, once background checks, as if that's going to solve anything like the minority report, like I mentioned already, and I've, I've, I've demonstrated none of that stuff has solved anything in any of the states that have put those in place. Then he goes on to talk about microstamping. Oh, we need this unique fingerprint. And again, they just adopt these talking points that go around in the mainstream media. So let's talk about microstamping. You think that's going to solve anything? Microstamping is not a technology that's even available. The state of California has a microstamping requirement for their handguns. In fact, there are multiple cases going on right now in the state of California. The Bolin v. Bonta case from CRPA. If you're in California, make sure you're donating CRPA because they do amazing things in the state of California. Then you have the Rena v. Bonta case, which is the Firearms Policy Coalition case. And they have sued the state of California because of their handgun roster. And one aspect of that is microstamping. And the courts themselves, these Sometimes left-leaning courts in California and the Ninth Circuit, one of the biggest issues they find with this structure and this scheme in the state of California is in fact microstamping. And because microstamping is no way a feasible um, technology, no way will it actually stop anything. No way does it have any utility. In fact, the state of California and the attorney general themselves have almost completely abandoned this type of restriction in the state of California in these lawsuits. Um, Multiple times, so recently in the Bowling v. Bolta case, when a positive ruling was issued by the district court, and then it was appealed up to the Ninth Circuit by the state of California, the state of California's attorney general sought a stay on that decision, but one of the things they did not seek a stay on was the striking down of the microstamping requirement. They almost completely have abandoned that. Now, they're going to have to defend it at the Ninth Circuit level, but when it came to the stay issue, they almost abandoned it because they know how absurd it makes this gun control law actually look. But you don't want anything that could help law enforcement or society determine whether or not a person is a good guy with a gun or a bad guy with a gun. I would challenge John Stewart to say, how does a registry help determine who is a good guy or a bad guy? Even saying you go through a background check, so you go through a background check, all it does is identify whether or not you're a prohibited person or not. If you're not a prohibited person, then you can purchase a firearm. Then adding a registry on top of that, how does that show any more who's a good person or a bad person? They act as if a registry and a background check system is again some sort of minority report identifier that magically looks into the hearts and souls of humans to determine who is bad and who is good. And as we've seen, you know, that's even deceiving within itself. You know, the federal prohibitions on who can be in possession of firearms and ammunition doesn't necessarily mean that someone is a bad person or a good person. For example, there are multiple cases right now which are challenging federal prohibitions on felons in possession of firearms. And that is because a lot of people who are felons in possession of firearms or who are subject to this law are not bad people. They may be caught a felony for something that is a nonviolent felony. Um, you know, one of the 
you know, more publicized ones is the Seventh Circuit Cantor decision, which, you know, at the time, Justice Amy Coney Barrett was sitting on the Seventh Circuit and she wrote a dissent in Cantor and Cantor involved an individual who was a felon and was a felon under federal law because he was convicted of engaging in mail fraud by selling, uh, I think it was counterfeit shoe insoles over the mail. And he was deemed to be a felon and therefore prohibited for the entirety of his life from being in possession of firearms and ammunition. Would you say that someone who is selling insoles over the mail is someone naturally you would want to prohibit and is a horrible, evil person? No, probably not. And then one of the more interesting ones or another interesting one is the Range v. Garland case. And I believe that is the one that deals with an individual who lied on an application for food stamps to feed his family. He misreported some of his income or actually put an income number on this application that was lower than what it should have been. And that was a federal crime and because or it was a state level crime. And because of that, he then became he had a misdemeanor equivalent to a felony because he could have got certain sentencing based on the, I believe, Pennsylvania sentencing guidelines. And because of that, he then became a felon or potentially a felon in possession of a firearm was prohibited from having firearms going forward under federal law. And even the laws we have in place right now are not good, do not have a ton of utility in really defining who is a evil person or a good person. All it does is set about a bunch of statutory guidelines, statutory legal language to say, hey, maybe if you are you know, convicted of X, Y, and Z, if you do X, Y, and Z, you have some sort of equivalent, then we will say you cannot possess or have firearms going forward. Here's, here's what I'm saying. Mm -hmm. You wanna say I'm a second amendment purist and I'm making it safer. You're not, you're making it more chaotic. So stopping there, actually, when you look at, uh, you know, there are plenty of states, plenty of localities, plenty of sheriffs uh, who believe that having more concealed carry holders, um, having an armed populace does, in fact, help crime rates. There are multiple states right now that have moved towards constitutional carry or permitless carry. Right now, there is, you know, half of the United States. I don't know what the I can't remember what the number is right now. I think it's 25 to 26 states who actually have some form of constitutional carry or permitless carry that have moved towards that system because they believe, in fact, arming their citizens, you know, giving their citizens the ability to keep and bear arms, to bear arms out in public without going through a permit process does, in fact, make their communities safer. Now, what's interesting, again, a lot of those states are, you know, right leaning conservative states. And then you look at in contrast to these left leaning liberal states who have either or in the past tried to have complete bans on carry or tried to put in place super restrictive proper cause or good cause concealed carry permitting systems. A lot of times you see in those left leaning liberal states that they tend to have way more crime than these conservative right leaning uh, states. And also a lot of times, you know, people who are anti-gun tried to act as if law enforcement is the and all be all that they will solve all issues that they are there 100% to protect you. And as we all know, you know, average nationwide police response time is 12 minutes, oftentimes much longer than that. And as we've seen, even in, you know, very well publicized incidents like Uvalde, even when police show up, that doesn't mean that they're going to do what you think they're going to do. So you have to register to a right. Is that an infringement? Does the right to voting say shall not be infringed? Oh, so this is just a semantic argument now. Is it an infringement? So it's interesting. You say, oh, you're playing a semantic game. No, I'm just reading the Constitution and the Bill of Rights as it's stating and as it's intended to mean. So again, let's look at the context of the Second Amendment. What has the Supreme Court said to us 
is the analysis when looking at whether a government restriction like a registry is constitutional or not. You know, the recent guidance we got was from the Supreme Court in Bruin, the New York State Rifle and Pistol Association, Marie Bruin, 6-3 decision authored by Justice Thomas. And what was the analysis that they said? You look at the text of the Second Amendment, and then you look at the history and tradition. If the conduct is protected under the text of the Second Amendment, then a governmental restriction, the only way that the government could put that in place is to have some sort of you know, historical analog, some sort of evidence dating back to 1791. So if you were to look at whether or not a registry violates the Second Amendment, you would look at whether or not at the time of the ratification of the Second Amendment in 1791, there was any historical equivalent to a registry. And, you know, that is something that the courts are currently making their way through the process right now of looking at a variety of gun control provisions to see if there are historical analogs or anything dating back to then um, that would support these types of restrictions. Um, but if you were to look at something like a registry, I, off the top of my head, don't know of anything that existed during the time of our founding that required all members of these states to register with the government, which they're very concerned about government overreach at during our founding. Um, I don't know of any historical analog or any historical evidence from a state or a national level where these citizens were required to register their firearms with the government. And you are going to be very hard pressed to find anything like that. What's the children? leading cause of death amongst children in this country? I'm presuming you're going to say it's firearms. No, I'm not going to say it like it's an opinion. That's what it is. It's firearms. This is one of those new things that they love to throw out. You've heard Biden say quite often, you've heard people in Congress say quite often that the leading cause of deaths with children is firearms. Now, where they're pulling that from is a variety of statistics, the CDC and some other ones. But really, once again, if you know what they're talking about and what sources they're referring to, and you look at those, what they're adding into that statistic are all the way from one years old to 18 and 19. And they're using that to inflate those numbers of gun deaths or gun related deaths. And why are they doing that? Because if you removed 18 and 19 year olds, then in no way would it even reach anywhere near the leading cause of death to children. And once again, when did we treat 18 year olds, 19 year olds as children? For every other conduct or for every other situation, 18 year olds are considered adults. They can go to war, they can vote. Like, you know, he's talking about their voting. They can get married, enter into contracts, all those things. We treat them as adults. Legally, in our nation, they are adults. But when it comes to this random CDC statistic that they came up to try to um, push for, you know, the anti-gun agenda to push for gun control. Conveniently, now they want to throw in these 18, 19 year olds as children. Now they want to treat them as children. I um, mean, so they, they can increase that number. Now, when you really look at that number of 18 year olds, 19 year olds, 17 year olds, you know, I think it's even younger when you look at some of those statistics. Where are these gun related deaths coming from? It's not, you know, they want to make it seem like it is all related to these so-called, you know, mass shootings or school shootings. And they want to claim that it's, you know, simply maybe children picking up firearms and, you know, there's some being some sort of incident in relation to that of the, you know, child firing a farm. But really, when you look at most of those gun deaths for those young adults, you know, I'll throw 18, 20, you know, year olds, I'll consider them young adults, you know, and even I think 15 to 17 year olds, most of those gun deaths or gun related deaths are 
gang and crime related. It is not what Jon Stewart wants you to believe. Now, even more interestingly, when you look at this CDC statistic that he's trying to use as this mighty sword to show that he has the moral high ground, when you look at that CDC statistic, and he's saying, you know, gun deaths are higher than cancer, they're higher than um, car accidents, they're higher than all these other things. What they fail to acknowledge is in that very report and that analysis, they leave at they leave out, you know, zero to one year olds. And why they do that is conveniently because there is a high number of infant mortality and there's a high number of um, infant related issues uh, that would actually make that number show, you know, the thing that they're concerned about, you know, what is the leading cause of death for children? What it would end up doing is showing the true number, which is there's a lot of accidents related to children. You know, if you were to do young, you know, infants from zero all the way up to 17 year olds, most of the deaths would be because of accidents, car accidents, and then a lot of like infant mortality and early onset um, deaths from diseases and other types of issues. So that's the interview that John Stewart did with this Oklahoma state senator, John Stewart, praised this as himself dunking on the gun, you know, the gun advocacy side. Um, again, he tries to take this moral high ground. Um, it's edited very cleverly to make it seem like John Stewart is just absolutely dunking on the, you know, gun advocates, um, how he has all the right arguments. Hopefully that helped give you guys some insight. If you like this video, if you like this podcast, uh, make sure you're liking, commenting, and subscribing. I know there's a lot of new viewers, a lot of new listeners. Um, I would appreciate if you guys subscribe to the channel. Um, that helps to boost the algorithm, helps to send out this content to more people. And then if you're listening to this on the audio side, either Spotify or Pad Podcast, um, you know, Spotify Podcast or Apple Podcast, uh, make sure you're following those leave reviews, leave a rating, because that again helps the algorithm on the audio side. But as always, thank you all for watching. Don't forget to like and subscribe. And never forget this nation was built by arm scholars and this nation will be maintained by arm scholars.